you would, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. We are working our way through the book of Acts. We'll begin chapter 2, and I know it says verses 1 through 13, you will not be so lucky. Um, we, we might get through verse 4. Um, we'll have to look at things like tongues and things like that next week. We'll, we'll, we'll see how far we get, but we'll read the first 13 verses. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested and each one of, on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would come, be present through your Spirit, that even through the very reading of your Word, you would honor it and bless it and begin speaking truth deep into our hearts. Now I pray that my words would fall to the ground and blow away and not be remembered anymore, Lord, but may your words remain and may they transform us. And we pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, about 13 years ago, uh, Lauren and I were asleep um, in bed in our apartment uh, when the phone rang, and it startled us, it got us out of bed, and no one ever called me at this time. Um, I had not started college ministry yet, in which I was used to uh, those 12 o'clock or 1 o'clock phone calls for no other reason than wanting to play wiffle ball or or something like that. This was before that time, and so I, I knew it had to be something serious, some kind of emergency. And um, so I grabbed the phone, and on the other line uh, was a person who I hadn't talked to in many years. He was a friend of mine. We grew up together. We went to the same church together. We even became college roommates during our freshman year. And then, and then we could not have gone two more different paths at that point. Um, he, he, just, he just kind of did the party scene a little bit, and then his faith really got shaken, and finally he ended up just completely abandoning his faith. Completely. Um, 
the last that I had heard about him, because I, I hadn't talked to him in, in a long time, was that he was in graduate school, um, he was living with his girlfriend, and, uh, and he still um, was not just not part of a church, he'd completely given up on his faith. And yet, here he is, after midnight, on the phone with me, I'm not even sure how he got my number, but he, he was really excited, I mean really excited, and, and I was like what's going on? And he goes, do you realize God is real? I mean, he's real. I'm like, yeah, I mean, I realize that. God's, no, 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 I mean, do you realize? I mean, he is, he is real, Joel. I'm talking he is real, real. He's not just somebody that we read about um, on pages. He's, he's not just some kind of ancient history. God is real. He's living. He's present. He's working. God is real. And he's, he's just going on and on. I'm like, well, calm down. Calm down. Tell me what what happened? I said, well, uh, my girlfriend and I, we were, we were coming home from grocery shopping. Um, they hadn't been to church in forever, having not thought about those things. And, and they, they get into their kitchen, and she falls to the floor, and she begins speaking in tongues for over an hour. It's like, okay, that's, that's unusual. That's, uh, that doesn't happen very often. Then, 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 then what happened? What, what do you do? He goes, well, I, I was freaked out. I didn't know what to do. I'm just looking at her. But then when she finished, I began interpreting. He said, I, I quoted entire books of the Bible for over an hour. I'm like, okay, that's also really unusual. I was like, then, then what did he do? He goes, then I called you. <laughs> it's like, and God's real. He's real. And he just kept saying, he is so real. Um, God used that strange, extraordinary event in their life to completely change them. Kind of give them a slap almost. Wake them up to reality. Um, he ended up finishing his degree. They are now serving the Lord in Uganda. He and his family um, passionately serving the Lord there. And I'm sure he's listening to this because he listens to the podcast each week. Um, the reason I, I share this story with you, this unusual story, is because that's a mini version of what you see here in Acts chapter 2. It's just kind of this micro version of what you're seeing here in which God suddenly just shows up in an extraordinary way, does whatever he wants. There, there's tongues, there's these, these signs, and, and this, through this miraculous, incredible experience, lives are completely changed. Uh, they're, they're transformed. Um, all of a sudden, God becomes very real to these people. Very real. Um, in a way that he hadn't to before. And to these disciples, God had become real to them in a way that they didn't find in just reading their Hebrew Scriptures before. And yes, they knew Jesus. Yes, they believed in Jesus. They knew Him to be the Son of God. But Jesus had ascended and Jesus was gone. But now, in a very real way, He was present with them again. So God was real to them. And when this realness hit them, they had the same experience as my friend had. You just had to share. You just, you know, you could not. I mean, it's not like they were going to go to sleep then. You had to start calling people and sharing what had happened. Now, I believe that God can still do this. Absolutely, He can do this. Uh, but what we see here in Acts, here at Pentecost, I don't believe is a normative experience for the Christian. I bet if I were to take a poll here and just say, okay, how many of you have experienced 
you know, flaming fire coming down, tongues, rushing wind. I bet that, you know, maybe none of you, maybe there's a few out there, but, you know, this is not a normative Christian experience. What we see here is extraordinary. Even the book of Acts is going to call this extraordinary, which means that this does not normally happen. What we see here is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies. We see here the ushering in of a new age, the ushering in of the new covenant. And this is when the church, it's often been described, is is lifted up out of infancy into adulthood, right here. Um, Today is actually Ascension Sunday, which has a lot to do with this passage. Um, Because we are seeing... At Pentecost, the outcome of the ascension. We're seeing the result of the ascension. You know, when Jesus proceeded into the heavenly city, when he ascended and there was a parade and he basically proceeds into the heavenly city, and we see this in Psalm 24, you have these angelic people calling out basically to one another and they're asking, who is this king of glory? And the other side answers, the Lord. The Lord mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your gates, lift up your your ancient doors that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? He's the Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. And they're they're calling to one another and there's this procession and, and Jesus goes into the heavenly city after He has ascended. He sits down at the right hand of God. He sits down in power. And he asks of his father, he says, remember what you promised me. Remember, you promised me the nations is my inheritance. You promised. And as any good father would, the father grants the request to his son and gives him the nations as his inheritance. And the Spirit of God falls on this group of men and sets them on fire to spread the gospel to the nations. And so we're seeing here the the fulfillment, the outcome of of Ascension Sunday when the Spirit of God falls down so we might declare the kingship of Jesus. And here in Acts chapter 2, when this happens, we have what what you might call a a perfect storm. Um, you, You have... Um, the disciples, when the, when the Spirit falls, they are baptized with the Spirit. They are, they are filled with the Spirit. They are not just filled, they are extraordinarily filled with the Spirit. And then revival happens. And not just a personal revival, not just revival inside a little church here. You have revival spreading through the city in which 3,000 people are saved like that. This is a very unusual event here, not to be repeated. We've seen elements like this happen in church history. You have like the Protestant Reformation, in which I would see as a, a very large-scale revival spreading. Or, or you have the Great Awakening, in which God's Spirit comes, and there's this very large-scale revival, and the ripples are felt all throughout the world. But here you have this kind of perfect storm here of all of these events, and this unique event of Pentecost. As a matter of fact, it's so... Um, Unique. It's almost otherworldly. Um, I, was, I was talking with somebody who said, yeah, it reminds me of comic books. I'm like, what? 
Like, you know, I mean, you just can't, it's, it's comic books. You know, like in, when you're reading like a Marvel comic book, which I, I don't, by the way, but for those of you out there who do, uh, reading a Marvel comic book, there's always some kind of explosion, there's always some kind of fire, there's some kind of nuclear accident that happens, and miraculously, people survive, and when they survive, they're given some kind of mutant powers, and they could go out and they could do all of these extraordinary things, and that's kind of what happens with the disciples, there's this event, it happens, there's fire, there's noisy wind, there's storms, there's, there's all of this, and they're given these mutant powers, and, and they could go and speak in other languages, they could go and you know, just touch people in their heel, they could go and raise the dead. And, and, and people who, who kind of think of Pentecost like that, it's a very easy temptation to say, there is no way that is real life. There's no way that can actually apply to my life. That's just, that's otherworldly. That's just out there. There's nothing I can take from that. But there's plenty that we can learn here. Because God is still God. He is still God. And He still comes. He still invades our lives. He still transforms us. He still sets us on fire. Uses us for His glory in unexpected ways. And sometimes this can be through an extraordinary event. Um, perhaps you're going to fall on the floor and you speak in tongues for an hour. Perhaps it will happen to you or perhaps it's going to be more quiet in the quietness of your heart. But, but either way, whether through an extraordinary event or through quietness, the Spirit of God is going to come and make Jesus real to you. That's, that's the important thing. Has Jesus become real to you? Do, do you want to, you know, do you feel like just picking up the phone and telling people, Jesus is real, he is real, I mean, I, I, he is, he's actually alive, he's, he's working, he's moving, he's real, or is that just a completely foreign conversation to you? That's what the Spirit of God comes and he does. Now, I realize in this room, as I look around, that um, there's a number of, of you here, and, I, and I've talked with you, that are interested in Christianity, Maybe curious about Christianity, but you would not yet call yourself a Christian. Um, and then I appreciate you being here. One of the things I want to say to you is that you were created to experience this. You, you, were, ex you were created to experience the Spirit of God coming into your life and transforming you. Um, it, you had at the turn of the 20th century, the, there was a lot of modern thinkers at the time. Um, you, know, you had Nietzsche, Freud, Marx. Um, they, they all said at the time that humankind would outgrow its need for the spiritual or for religion. That, that as we basically, they didn't use the word evolve, but you know, as we evolved and as we became more modern, science would fill in the gaps you know, that religion was answering. Science would soon explain what we had to use uh, religion for kind of as a crutch to get us through life. And so as we grew in our knowledge, as, we, as science expanded and grew and answered more questions, there would no longer be a need for the spiritual, no need to seek, seek spiritual experiences. Um, and that was about, you know, 100, 150 years ago. And since then, that has been proved so wrong. So wrong. People 
today, modern scientific people are just as hungry for a spiritual experience. That, that, that has not died. If anything, this has is, is increased. People are hungry and they're thirsty for, for some kind of spiritual meaning. Let me, just, let me ask you, for those of you who are, who are wondering about these things, you, you look at every other desire you have as a human. Every other real desire you have, there is a way to meet that desire. You're hungry, you get food. You're thirsty, you get water. There's, there's real ways to meet those desires. Do you think that the spiritual desire that you have is the only desire in which there is not a way in which it could be fulfilled? Do, do you really think that? You were made for this. You were made to enjoy God forever. You're made to be in His presence. And the way that we are in His presence is when He gives us His Spirit. And His presence comes and lives in us. Let's walk through this text. Let's walk through this passage and see how how this plays out. And chapter 2 begins with the phrase, when the day of Pentecost arrived. Um, a few weeks ago, I had I'd mentioned, I hope you realize it was a joke, um, but I mentioned, you know, if, if, if I had been in charge of the universe, I would have done things differently. Um, and that I would not have waited to send the Spirit of God down. I, I, I like the symmetry, and I would have loved as Jesus went up, the Spirit went down. Like, you know, just, it, I love the symmetry, and that's how I would have done things. Um, but God had different plans, and he decided to wait until the day of Pentecost. And on the day of Pentecost, he sent his Spirit down. And I remember one time I was teaching a college Bible study, um, which just being asked was a bad idea of who, whoever did that. And I was actually teaching through this, and somebody asked, well, why was it on Pentecost? And I said, well, really it doesn't have any meaning. It was just kind of a coincidence. It had to come someday. And, and the reason I said that was because I was an idiot. And, and I just, I really hadn't thought through it, and I really hadn't studied. And it has everything to do with the day of Pentecost. You, you need to understand the day of Pentecost if you're going to understand what happens here. I mean, seriously, Jesus could have sent His Spirit any time. But he waited and he chose this one Jewish celebration, this one day. Why? For coincidence? No, there's a purpose. Why he sent his spirit at this moment. Pentecost is called, and some of you might have little notations on it, the, the Feast of Weeks, the Festival of the First Fruits. Um, it was celebrated 50 days after the Passover. Um, actually, some of the reasons called the Festival of Weeks is because it's a week of weeks. It's seven weeks. And after 49 days, you celebrate on that 50th day, Pentecost. Actually, Pentecost in Greek means 50th. So it's the 50th day after the atonement. Or after, sorry, after Passover. And it was also... It, it, was, a, it was a key day for, for two reasons. They, they celebrated two things on that day. It was the celebration of when the law was given to the people of Israel at Mount Sinai. They arrived there on the 50th day after being delivered through Passover. So it was a celebration of the law being given to them. And it was also a celebration of the end of harvest. 
At the end of harvest, they would bring forth their first fruits and they would feast. Um, and so let's, let's look at the first of these. Um, we know, because we went through Exodus a couple years ago, but on the night of Passover, the Lord um, sent the destroyer down and, and killed the firstborn of every Egyptian, but passed over the Israelites' homes because they had put the blood up there. And so we have the Passover, and he had rescued the Israelites from the bondage of Egypt, and they went packing and walking through the desert, and they did that for 50 days until they landed at Mount Sinai. After 50 days, and they got there, and then God gave them the Ten Commandments and the rest of the law. Um, This was both a wonderful and a terrifying time for the Israelites. It was a mixture of both. It was wonderful and it was terrifying. It was wonderful because God had rescued them, because God is, is now with them and for them. It was terrifying because have you ever read what happened at Mount Sinai? It was a terrifying event. Uh, God says, all right, to Moses, tell the people nobody could go near the mountain. If anybody touches the mountain, they're dead. They're dead. Hey, listen to this description in Exodus 19. It says, on the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. I mean, can can you imagine how terrifying that would be? I mean, if you just go camping now and a thunderstorm comes up, you're scared. I mean, now you're camping at this mountain and all of a sudden smoke starts wrapping around the mountain. There's lightning, there's thunder, there's a trumpet sounding from who knows where and it keeps getting louder and louder. And so you're trembling. And then the next chapter, they tell Moses, like, we're not getting anywhere near it. It says they start backing away from the mountain. It says, you talk to God because if he speaks to us, we will die. We don't want anything to do with this. And they're trembling greatly. And it was here at this terrifying event that God gives them the law. Now you've got to flash forward 1,400 years to these disciples in Acts 2 who were gathered together on the day of Pentecost celebrating what happened at Sinai. And once again, now you have God descending down upon His people. Once again, there's fire. Once again, there's the the sounds of a storm. But this time, there's no terror. There's no no running running away. There's there's not that here. And and unlike Mount Sinai, when when the fire fell down on the mountain and and, kind of consumed the mountain there, it was only Moses. Here you have fire falling and it rests on each individual believer. Fire rests on each one. Each believer here is having their own Sinai experience. That's what's happening here. Each one of them is meeting with the Lord. 
And each believer is having the law given to them, but this time the law is not being written on tablets of stone. The law is being written on their hearts. They're all having this personal Mount Sinai experience. We we read about this earlier in Jeremiah 31 where it was prophesied when Jeremiah said, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, not when I took them to Sinai, because my covenant they broke then. Though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. So don't miss this. This is what we see here happening in Acts 2. We have the ushering in of the new covenant through God's spirit we have the ushering in of this and now the law is being written on our hearts so instead of the law having to work from the outside in now the law is written on our hearts and it can work itself out and we can begin living the law in this new power that that was not possible before We've been given this new heart, and with this new heart, we have the power to obey this this law. And and just like at Mount Sinai, where God was creating this new community, this new community that was supposed to be a light into the nations, and he was saying, y'all are supposed to love one another, and you're supposed to serve one another, and you're supposed to, to glorify me, and you're supposed to obey this law, and it made this new community. Here in Acts, we have a new community being formed. But unlike back at Sinai, where the people might have lasted 10 minutes before they broke the law, here you see people utterly transformed. And they love one another in a way that the world has never seen. They are so selfless and serving that the Roman Empire takes notice and stands in wonder. Within just even a few centuries, Christianity has spread over all of Rome. These people become the community of God that they were to be. Let me tell you, God's Spirit still does that in our lives. Um, He comes kind of like a mighty wind suddenly, and He disrupts things. When when the Spirit of God comes, He's going to turn your life upside down. He's going to disrupt. He's going to rearrange things. He's going to make what you see as a mess. But He's actually bringing order He's writing His law on your heart, and He's empowering you to do it. He's making you more like Jesus. Now, besides being a celebration of Mount Sinai and the giving of the law, Pentecost is also the celebration of the harvest. Um, It was a celebration of the last day of the harvest, when the harvest was completed. And on this day, people would feast. They would bring forth forth their first fruits from the harvest. It was this tremendous day of of rejuvenation and relaxation and just lots of eating. And it was, um, it's kind of similar to our day of Thanksgiving. That would be a good way to think. It was like when you just, the bounty is before you and you just eat and you've got nothing else to do. And it's just, I mean, it's just a wonderful day in which you give thanks to God for his provision. That's kind of what this is. And with Israel being an agrarian society, this was a very important 
day because they would work for months and months and months and they would exhaust themselves in all of their efforts. And then the harvest time, they would exhaust themselves even more and they would work tirelessly. And finally, when it was all in, they're like, they get to sit down, cease working, and eat of the fruits. And it was just such a joyful and rejuvenating time. And in some ways, besides Thanksgiving, it reminds me of Memorial Day, which we just celebrated, um, which not in its significance, there's no significance like Memorial Day has significance, um, but it's during Memorial Day is when I kind of get the first fruits of summer for me. Um, you know, you got that extended weekend finally. This past Memorial Day, we went to a friend's house and um, just barbecued to you could barbecue no more. Uh, just ate till you were so full. Then we played this epic bocce match that lasted over an hour. And it was just, it was like, <sighs> and one of the reasons that I, that I just love it is because it's the first fruits. When we get to Memorial Day and I experience that, I know summer is coming. There's going to be more days like that. Uh, there, there's going to be a, a vacation. There's going to be a, some more time off. There's going to be big blockbuster movies with you know, horrible CGI effects that cost billions of dollars, whatever it is. But you know, it's just kind of fun and rejuvenating, and you don't have to work as hard there to relax. That's similar to Pentecost here, the festival of the harvest. It was this time of <sighs> rejuvenation after hard work. It's no coincidence that the Spirit of God fell that day. If the people of God had been laboring under so many sacrifices, so many laws, so many regulations, keep failing and trying and failing, doing all this, and then similar to the harvest in which they are rejuvenated, God's Spirit blows in and gives them rest, gives them joy. Uh, he comes and He gives them new life. He gives them new energy. He gives them this unspeakable joy. We know Psalm 16, says that in God's presence there's fullness of joy. Well, now His presence has come. And they're joyful. Jesus said, I will come and I, I, I come to give you life. And now there's life to the full. You know, this is, uh, this is why those who are filled with the Spirit, I think, are just compelled to sing it's you know why why in the world do we gather together in a worship service and we take up so much time singing it's because when you look at ephesians 5 and look at colossians 3 it says that when we are filled with the spirit that we sing to the lord and we make melody in our hearts that's what we do it's a joyful time now at the celebration of pentecost here when people would sit down and they would eat and they would get that you know maybe that first ripened date, you know, and they would, they'd eat that, man, it would just taste so good. It, it kind of like when, um, you know, our garden, I picked our first tomato about three days ago. We, we grow cherry tomatoes, and I picked the first one, and it was just perfect, and I just ate it, and my, my taste buds kind of exploded, and, and one of the reasons that I loved it is because I knew it was the first, 
that this summer a whole lot more is coming. And that, you know, come summer, all of our kids, all their dresses, their girls, there's just going to be red stains going down because they will eat so many tomatoes from our garden. And, and every time I'm working outside, I will eat tomatoes from the garden. And I, could just, I just know what's coming, and it's going to be so joyful. And let me tell you, this is the first fruits of the Spirit. Paul says that in Romans 8. He says that we have been given the first fruits of the Spirit. And part of the joy of receiving this joy is knowing it's just a taste of what is to come. When heaven comes to earth, when sin is no more, when there is no more sorrow, no more tears, and, and, and there we see God face to face. But we get a real taste of this now. A real taste of heaven now. This is something that is available to all of us. This this isn't a pretend taste. This isn't just a described taste. You're not just looking at a picture. You actually get to experience the first fruits now. And like the disciples, when that happens, it will have the same effect. It will set you on fire. And I love what happens after this. I'm going to look at this next week. It didn't, when this happened to them, they didn't burst out of that room and be like, hey, everybody, you know, wow, uh, let me tell you about my personal experience. Let me tell you how God's delivered me. Let me, it wasn't all about me. It says they went out and they declared the works of God, the wonderful works of God. They were set on fire for His glory after tasting this. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. I pray for us as a church that we taste and know that the Lord is good. Pray with me now. What a day, Lord. We thank You for sending Your Spirit at Pentecost and for ushering in a new age into which we don't have to read the Word of God written on stone and then be powerless to obey it but you have written your word on our hearts and you have filled us with delight and a joy and a power to obey and to serve. And your spirit has filled us up with such joy and part of the joy is knowing that it's the first fruits of what is to come. And Lord, may that set us on fire as a church. I pray for those in this room that do not know you. Even now, may your spirit fall in open hearts. May you be thick in this room, moving and working. We pray this in the name of Jesus and for his glory. Amen.